שיעור מספר 185, David Sons Punishment, Repentance and Redemption, מפי דוקטור יעל ציגלר. Welcome everyone to the last class of Wednesday here at the Imeyun. Um, it's wonderful to see everyone here. Uh, I'm Yael Ziegler, and I'm going to begin with a brief dedication. This year is dedicated to the memory of Rabbi Beller. Rabbi Beller, who was a uh, very uh, well-known uh, Rav, both here in Alon Shavut and in Kfar Saba, known for his commitment to Torah, to his community, to his shul, to his family, to Am Yisrael, a wonderful teacher and role model. It was a great schut to know him, and it's a great honor to dedicate my class today to his memory. Uh, we're going to be talking about David's sons, the story of punishment and redemption. Um, I think maybe I'll spend a few minutes just talking about David in general before we get to the story of his uh, post-Batsheva experience, which is a difficult story. Um, when we talk about David in the Tanakh, when we talk about David before the story of Batsheva, which is, of course, Shmuel Bet, Parakud Aleph, we are inclined to think of David as the ideal leader, as the ideal king. David is the one who is motzechen v'sechel tov be'inei Elohim v'adam, right? That is really David. David, as a leadership figure in Tanakh, excels really in all areas, right? In terms of his relationship with God, his piety is exceptional, right? Just think of the story of David dancing the Aron to its resting place, right? I mean, there's so many examples, but that one certainly comes to mind. David's leadership, right? David vis-a-vis -vis the people. David, his leadership is exceptional from the time that he successfully rules over this small sort of disenfranchised group of people uh, to his ability to really unify the people. It's, it, he's an extraordinary leader. Um, and also in terms of David's relationship with his, himself, right? His personal confidence, his inner moral compass, his sense that God has chosen him really from the very beginning, uh, his, his sense that perhaps God has chosen him for leadership, right? From the Goliath story, pretty much throughout, we get a sense of really an exceptional, uh, an exceptional person with confidence, with leadership, and with piety. Um, I would like to talk about this for the entire Shior, but alas, we're going to be talking about some of the later events, which I think are, are represent really the collapse of um, of this figure in all of the different areas in which he was so successful prior to the story of uh, Batsheva. Maybe I'll just make, make a few more comments about David's success um, in, in these initial stories. We're talking about many, many chapters, right? We meet David in Shmuel Aleph, Perak Tet Zion, and we continue to experience David's greatness really all the way through <laughs> until the middle of Shmuel Bet, right? So we're talking about many, many, many chapters that are really focused on David's exceptional leadership. Um, I'll say a few more things. One is that David from the very beginning seems to be chosen by God for greatness. So when you look, for example, I'll, I'll turn your attention for a moment to Shmuel Bet, Perak Tet Zion, which is our first um, encounter with David in Shmuel Bet Perak Tet Zion. If you look in Pasuk Yud Bet, I'm sorry, Shmuel Aleph, Shmuel Aleph Perak Tet Zion. If you look in Pasuk Yud Bet, right, which is where um, which is where Shmuel first anoints him, um, and you look in in the next pasuk in Pasuk Yud Gimel, we're told as follows: Vaikach Shmuel et Karen Hashemen. Right, so Shmuel takes the, the horn of oil and he anoints David. Right, this is really very significant. Until this point in Sefer Shoftim, people would get Ruach Hashem, right? They'd get it and then it would disappear, right? So it was sort of a temporary kind of, a, 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 of leadership experience in which God gives the figure his Ruach Hashem in order to accomplish some kind of uh, successful, oftentimes, military exploit. Here, David is receiving the Ruach Hashem as a permanent state, right? He gets this Ruach Hashem, Mehayom Hahu Vamala. And this, of course, prepares us for something which we are going to see later on in Shmuel Bet Perak Zion, and that is that God 
promises David eternal dynasty, right? Eternal kingship. And it's a, it comes as somewhat of a surprise. I mean, if only because in the previous, in the story of the previous king, the story of Shaul, Shaul, of course, you know, is chosen by God, and then he sins, and then the kingship is taken away from him which one would think would be a reasonable model to follow. And that's not what God says to David, right? God says to David in Shmuel Bet Perak Zion, even if you sin, you know, I might punish you, but I'm not taking kingship away from you, right? You will have kingship ad olam. It sort of is the continuation of Hashem al David me'ayom hahu v'mala, right? We have this sort of permanent state, right? Midal Yishuot malko chesed limshicho, right? David Ad Olam, right? This permanent kind of leadership. This is something that is given to David. It seems to be something which is very appropriate for David. David is this really ideal figure um, for, for much of the story. And then, of course, we have the story of Bathsheba. Um, it's a terrible incident. Um, we're not going to speak about it in great detail. I, I imagine that most people are aware of many of the details of the story. Of course, it culminates uh, in David sending Uriah to his death, right? Uriah being the husband of Bathsheba. And, um, and, and what I want to talk about in today's class is not particularly to involve myself in the question of you know, whether David technically committed the sins in exactly the way that they are described in the Tanakh, right? We know the famous Gemara and Shabbos, Kol Shamar David Chata, Eina Ela To'eh, right? Anybody who says that David technically sinned is mistaken, and there's a you know, great deal of debate about that issue. One thing that I think there's not very much debate about, and that is that God is very displeased with David's actions, right? That's, that, that's said over and over and over in the story. Natan the Navi comes to chastise David. And I think that however we understand the specifics of the story, it certainly does seem to be a comment on the dangers of kingship, right? The power of concentrating, the, the, the danger of concentrating so much power in the hands of one individual. What I'd like to focus on in today's shiur is the way that this story uh, functions as a turning point in David's life, in David's career, and ultimately seems to really define the rest of his story, right? It defines the rest of his story uh, for worse and for better, ultimately. And that's pretty much where I want to go in this year. Ultimately, I'll just uh, you know, mention one comment that the Abarbanel makes. Uh, the Abarbanel, in describing David's tshuva, says, I prefer to meet a David who sinned a great sin, a great sin, and repented a great penitence over a David who never sinned at all, right? So that somehow this story is taking us to a new appreciation of David, to David in a new place. Um, well, I will just begin by noting that the chapters following David's sin, right, starting in Shmuel Bet, Perak Yudbet, pretty much all the way through the end of his life, describe a David who has a very difficult life, right? He has a very difficult life in terms of his sons, in terms of his family, in terms of his leadership, in terms of his own personal equilibrium. He seems doomed to live his life in the shadow of this event. And this is going to be one of the things that I want to show you. And the consequences of that story play themselves out in all of the areas in which he seemed to have functioned so effectively beforehand in terms of his relationship with God, in terms of his leadership, in terms of his own confidence in himself, right? In all those areas where I mentioned before, David excelled uh, in all of those areas, all of them seem to be uh, somewhat affected or negatively affected by this incident. And uh, you know, short of really properly learning all these stories, which we obviously can't do today, we're going to do something a little bit more schematic, right? We're going to get a little bit of a schematic overview of the events in David's life that follow this insight with, with Bathsheba. But let's start really with Natan's rebuke of David. So turn to Shmuel Bet. This time I mean Shmuel Bet. Turn to Shmuel Bet. Perak Yud Bet, right, which is the Perak immediately after the story with Bathsheba. And here Natan comes to David with the famous Mashal, right? We won't talk about the Mashal right now. And he, uh, he, he explains his Mashal, of course, he says to David, you are 
the man, right? You are the man who is deserving of punishment. And look, let's start in Pasuk Tet. Okay, let's start in Pasuk Tet. Natan says to David, Madua bazita et devar Hashem la sotara be'enai. Why did you shame the word, of, or why did you spurn the word of God to do what is evil in my eyes? Et Uriah hachiti hikita vacherev. Right? You struck Uriah with a sword. Ve'et ishto lakachta lecha le'isha. And his wife you took as a wife. Ve'oto harakta becherev b'nei Ammon. You killed him with the sword of Ammon. Ve'ata, and now says Natan to David, lo tasur cherev mibetcha ad olam. Right? The sword will never leave your house forever. Ekev ki vizitani, for you have spurned me. And you took the wife of Uriah for yourself as a wife. I'm going to bring to you evil from your household. I will take your wives in front of you. And I will give them to your friend. And he will sleep with your wife with your wives. In front of this son, you did it secretly. I will do this openly. This is a really very harsh moment in the story. We're going to see some harsh moments. Uh, what what Natan says very explicitly to David is that God is going to give you two punishments in uh, because of two sins, right? You uh, had you killed Uriah, right? And therefore, there will be a sword in your house. And you took his wife as a wife. And therefore, there will be evil in your house. And your wives will be taken from you. Now, when we look at the stories that follow this, uh, this, this punishment, this, uh, this very harsh rebuke, it seems to be the implementation of this punishment, right? Within his house, right? Bevetecha. Right, within David's family. Oh, many of the Mepharshim note this. This is you know, something that I think uh, the Mepharshim are very, very, um, are very sensitive to. So, for example, the upcoming story, right, in Perakid Gimel, after the death of, of, of the child who is born, the product of David and, and, and Bathsheba. But in the next parak, we have the terrible story of Amnon and Tamar, right, where David's son rapes his daughter, right? And then we have the terrible story, which is the aftermath of the story of Avshalom killing Amnon. Avshalom, of course, being Tamar's full brother, right? And so a, a son killing another son, right? What about the next story, the one that follows that, which is the story of Mered Avshalom, right? Avshalom's rebellion. Here also, we seem to have two punishments with, that are occurring within David's household, one that involves shfichut damim and the other that involves giloy arayot, right? So we have Avshalom, a son, who is willing to kill his father, right? I mean, it doesn't really get much worse than that. And then we have the story of Avshalom taking David's concubines and sleeping with them publicly, right? So if you just turn for one moment to Shmuel Bet, Perak Tetzayin, Pasuk Kafbet, here, I think even the language of the pasuk makes it pretty clear that there is a relationship between this terrible event of Merida of Shalom and the story of David and Bathsheba. So if you look, for example, in Pasuk Kavbet, in Perak Tet Zayin, Vayatu Lav Shalom Ha'ol Al Agad, right? Avshalom puts up this tent on the roof. Vayavo Avshalom El Pilag Aviv Le'inei Kol Yisrael. Right, Avshalom goes into this tent with David's concubines publicly. Right, so this is exactly what the prophet had said. Right, uh, the Mefarshim say this very explicitly. Right, you look at the Rabag on this pasuk. I didn't bring for you the Rabag on this pasuk, but the Rabag says very explicitly this seems to be the punishment that was mentioned previously. Now, if you look, for example, at the first two sources that I brought for you on this source sheet, and there are really many more, but I wanted to bring for you a sampling of sources where we see that the Mepharshim are seeing the broader picture, right? I think that one of the uh, important 
things that are happening a lot today in Tanakh study is that we're taking a step back from the stories and we're seeing the bigger picture, right? When I was growing up, we learned Tanakh in a very compartmentalized way, right? So by the time you got to Parakud Gimel, you know, you had learned so many, um, so many different parshanim that it was hard to remember what you had learned in 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 the parak before, right? But today we take a step back, we look at the whole story, and we say, wow, there's a sequence of events here, one of which seems to flow into the other. The Mefarshim are seeing this as well. So look, for example, at Radak here in source number one. He's talking here in Parakid Gimel about the story of Amnon and Tamar. And he says, This incident of Amnon and Tamar, Haya Onish David al right? This was a punishment for David because of Bacheva. Right? Because what happens in his household as a result of this? There are um, there 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 is shfichut amim. There is blood bloodshed and zima and sexual impropriety, and that comes as a result of the two things that Natan tells David that he did wrong. The Abarbanel is going to in source number two. We're not going to read it inside for lack of time. But the Abarbanel here is going to expand on this idea and say the same thing is true about Merit of Shalom, right? Merit of Shalom also have has a, a, both of these components, Gilu Arayot and Shvichut Amim, and they both come as a result of the David and Bathsheba story. The other point that I think that we've made, but I would like to emphasize, is that this story takes place in the household of David, right? The word bite is very much emphasized both in Natan's rebuke of David, lo tasor cherev mi beitcha, right there, will, the, the sword will never leave your house, and hinani mekim alecha ra'a mi beitcha, in your house. Now, in those stories that follow, the key words in chapters 12, you know, you'd bet, you'd gimel, you'd dalit, tedvav, tedzayin, right, all those chapters, the key words that keep coming up over and over and over are words that relate to the household, okay? The words ben and bat together appear 70 times, okay? The word ach and achot, 28 times. The word av, 14 times. I assume some of you are noting that these are multiples of seven. Okay, I might have miscounted, but that's what it seemed to me. The word bayit appears more than more than 35 times. I mean, these are the words that are coming up again and again and again because the story that is unfolding is a terrible family story. It's a story of a family tragedy, right? It's a story of David's family that unravels in the wake of the story of, of Bathsheba. Now, on an emotional level, one can certainly understand how this affects David. And the Midrash is very attuned to this. There's, I think, a very evocative Midrash, which I brought for you here in source number three. Maybe we'll just start uh, from the third line from the top in, in source number three. Right? That's a quote from Mizmor Gimel, which is the Mizmor that David says, Right? When he's running away from his son of Shalom. So David turns to God and says, How great are my troubles. If some other person had come to take my kingship, it would have been a terrible crisis. Right? If my son had gone and stolen somebody else's kingship, that would have been a terrible crisis. Notel malchuti, Hashem marabut sarai. Right? He says, but my son is trying to take my kingship. That only compounds the terrible story. Ilu acher ina et nashai haitali tzaragdola. If somebody else had um, had had uh, uh, tormented my wives, that would have been terrible for me. Achshav shebni inat nashai Hashem marabut sarai. It's my son, right, with my wives. If someone else had killed my son, that would have been terrible. Right? It doesn't really get worse than that. And that, I think, is the emotional uh, take on how this story of, um, of, of the unraveling of David's family really it takes a, a, a terrible emotional toll. I'm a little bit more interested in what this means for David in a leadership sense, right? David's 
house, his bait is falling apart. Oh, again, bait in Tanakh doesn't just mean physical structure, right? It doesn't even just mean palace, right? It means family, it means dynasty, it means kingship. Think about the events that are playing out in the aftermath of the story of David and Bathsheba. His sons become enmeshed in these terrible struggles that lead one after another to their death. And, and, and I want to suggest that from David's perspective, it's not just an emotional blow, it's also a political blow. I mean, I don't know if that, that pales in comparison, of course, to the emotional, but I would say David must become must be becoming more and more skeptical with regard to his future, right? What's going to be with my sons? What, what happened to God's promise to me? Will, will my dynasty be continued? Will I, in fact, have sons that will sit on my throne? Well, Amnon was the oldest. He's no longer, right? Avshalom, he's gone, right? Chilav, we never really hear anything about him. Then suddenly there's Adoniyahu, and things are beginning to go to go sour there as well, right? David, um, I think, must be losing confidence. And one of the ways that um, that we see this is in Tehillim Nun Aleph. Turn your attention for a moment to Tehillim Perak Nun Aleph. This is the Mizmor Tehillim that has the uh, the title, right, of Bivonatan El David Acharibal Batsheva, Kasherba El Batsheva, right? This is the one that uh, is, is, is clearly linked to the story of David and Batsheva. It's a very, very, very emotional mizmor. It is filled with expressions of sinfulness. It's, it's filled with a sense of shame and guilt and, and, and really deep, deep sorrow. If there's one place where we see David's expression of tshuva, it's really in this mizmor. It's an incredibly uh, powerful mizmor, right? Kabseini mavoni, clean me from my sin, umechatati tahareni, right? Purify me from my sin, right? We see it over and over and over. This is certainly describing a process of tshuva. But what I think is 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 quite interesting is pasuk yud gimel. And turn to pasuk yud gimel and look at what David says here. David turns to God and says. Do not cast me away from before you. Remember that Ruach Hashem that came on David as a permanent state? right? I think this is a very revealing pasuk. When David turns to God and says, don't take away that Ruach Hashem, the one that you promised me. right? I think it reveals a great deal about David's question, his doubts, his state of mind, his uh, skepticism with regard to his future, and um, this kind of uncertainty, uh, along with the the extraordinary tshuva, the extraordinary expressions of regret and, and, and sinfulness that we have in this mizmar, I think that this is what accompanies David throughout the stories that we find in Shmuel Bet, in chapters, in, in Prakim Yud Gimel, Yud Dalet, Tetvav, Tetzan. I want to show you a couple of uh, ways in which we see this. I'm going to skip around a little bit, not even necessarily in order. I'm just going to pick a few incidents and see if we can really get a sense of <clears throat> where David is during the course of these stories, where his family is really uh, falling apart. So let's start with what I think is the clearest example that shows that David understands that these events do not occur in a vacuum and that they are certainly linked to uh, the events of his own life. So let's turn to Shmuel Bet Perak Tetzayim. This is a uh, Perak that describes David running away from Yerushalayim during Mered of Shalom. And as he's running, he, of course, encounters Shimi ben Geira, right? This Ish Binyamin, this uh, man from Binyamin, who very joyously notes David's uh, fall. And, of course, he pelts stones at David, and he calls David Ish Damim, Ish Hablial, and he curses him, right? And, you know, um, obviously, uh, David's men are not very pleased with Shimi ben Gera. And so Abishai ben Surya, as is typical of the Bnei Surya, offers to take off his head, 
right? Rosho. Let me let me kill him. He was he he's he's uh, uh, behaving in an entirely uh, unacceptable way. Uh, look at pasuk yud aleph, right? Um, now look at pasuk yud. Okay, so this is God's res- this is uh, David's response to um, Avishai. Vayomer hamelech. I'm in Perak Tet Zion in Shmuel Bet pasuk yud. Ma livelachem b'nei tzuria. So he curses. Maybe God told him, curse David. Right? He says, you know, my own son is trying to kill me. And so this, you know, Benjamin guy comes and, you know, he's, he's a bit nasty. So let him. Maybe God told him. The second time he said it, right? Maybe God told him. And now, look in Pasuk Yudbet, he seems to harbor hope that maybe this will help his sin to be expiated. Right? Maybe God will see this. Maybe I will be repaid for good. Right? Again, all these maybes, all these perhaps Hashem told him. Right? This real sense that he has that these events are a result of his punishment. Right? David seems fully aware of this. Not only does he seem fully aware of the possibility that it's connected, but he also seems to be uh, not just willing to accept it, but happy to accept it. Right? It seems to be that David is very self-consciously experiencing a process of tshuva. Now, I think we see this in other more subtle ways. I mean, that's not subtle. right? I don't think anybody can really read those psukim and not get a sense that David is very acutely aware of the connection between this event and prior events, right? And the Abarbanel here, which I brought for you in source number four, which we won't read inside, makes this very explicit, right? So if anybody is, you know, uh, sort of questioning the reading, the Abarbanel reads this very clearly, um, uh, that, you know, this is really uh, David's way of of understanding these events in light of the incident with Batsheva. Um, but I think that there are a few other incidents which perhaps are a little bit more subtle, maybe even a little bit more moving, that I want to draw your attention to. One of them is um, a very poignant moment, and it's uh, it occurs actually in the parak before, in parak Tedvav. If, for those of you who have a Koran, you don't even have to turn the page. But it occurs in parak Tedvav. It is while David is uh, leaving the city, and as he's uh, as they're beginning to walk out of the city, the Kohanim approach David with the Aron HaElokim, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're leaving the city. And David, of course, as we all know, is deeply attached to the Aron, right? He's deeply attached. He has committed himself very uh, uh, obviously to taking care of the Aron. And uh, it seems that the Kohanim feel that David would like the Aron to accompany him on his way out of the city. So look at what David says in Pasuk Kafhei. Vayomer hamelech litzadok. Right, I'm in Perak Tedvav, Pasuk Kafhei in Shmobed. Hashev et Aron ha-Elohim ha-ir. Return the Aron of God to the city. Im emtachein be'enei Hashem ve'eshivani v'herani oto ve'etnavehu. If I find favor in the eyes of God, he will return me. And he will show me once again himself and his dwelling place and, of course, the Aron. The Im Koyomar. But if so shall God say, Lo chafatzibach, I do not desire you. Hineni yaaseli ka'asher tov be'enav. Right? Let God do whatever is good in his eyes, right? Because David seems to be entertaining two possibilities throughout. One possibility is that God will indeed forgive him, and the other is that God has permanently rejected him, right? And maybe God will say, Lo And then, okay, but I'm not going to forcibly take the Aron out of the city. Who made that mistake? To try to force the Aron, to try to force a result by taking the Aron with him. That was the Bnei Eli, right? That's Chufni Upinchas. 
David doesn't make that mistake. David, I think, is really still remains the symbol of great piety, right? Of a deep understanding, right? I think it's part of his tshuva is his ability to see that both of these possibilities exist and he is taking responsibility, right? He's taking responsibility for here. And so I think that what we see here with David is that um, the, the incident with Bathsheba for David really allows him to begin to question uh, his relationship with God, his uh, God's continued endorsement of him, God's continued accompaniment of him through the Ruach Hashem. Um, I'm going I'm to mention two more things that I think that we see here during the course of these prakim, and that is that I, I don't just think that it's um, that it's that it's God or Shimi ben Gera that are questioning David's ability to continue ruling. I think the people are as well, right? And and the midrashim, I think some of them are going to say this as well. I think the people are no longer sure that David is the same David, that David has the Ruach Hashem, that God accompanies David, that David will have continued success. And I think maybe one of the most um, uh, striking indications of this is the success of Merit of Shalom, right? Of Shalom rebels. It's extraordinary. I mean, we have to ask ourselves the most obvious question. How could he have succeeded? So he was very beautiful. I mean, you know, that's nice, but that doesn't account for his success, right? I mean, David was the beloved David. He was the one He was the one that all Shivtei Yisrael come to David and say, you, we are your flesh, we are your blood, we want to, 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 to make you the king over all of Shivtei Yisrael. And along comes Avshalom and Perak Tetvav, Pasuk, <clears throat> look here in Pasuk, uh, uh, Gimel, right? Also, same same book, Shmuel Bet, Perak Tetvav, Pasuk Gimel. And Avshalom is meeting all the people gathered around the palace, saying to them, You're correct. And king's not going to listen to you. Why would the people believe that? Right? And then when Avshalom goes to Hebron, which is David's place, right? That's where David was first anointed. Avshalom goes to Hebron in Perak Tedvav, in the continuation of Perak Tedvav, in Pasuk Yud Gimel, in Pasuk Yud Bet, Vayishlach Avshalom et Achitofel Hagiloni, Yoetz David, Meiro Migilo, right? So this Achitofel has switched sides. He used to be David's great advisor. He switches sides. Why does he switch sides? Rabag suggests, and it's based on very good evidence, that he's Bathsheba's grandfather, right? This is Achitofel, whose son is Eliam, whose daughter is Bathsheba. But that's okay. That's not not uh, the central point, right? So uh, Avshalom sends Achitofel bizovchot azvachim, by he hakesher amitz. The rebellion was strong. The ha'am holech varav et Avshalom. The people were in droves going to support of Shalom. I think it's extraordinary. I mean, I don't have time to properly show you in, you know, Shmuel Aleph, Perak Yudchet, and in Shmuel Bet, Perak Hay, and in various other places, the great love that the people have for David, but the way that it just sort of turns around in an, in, in an, in an instant, right? Uh, aside from of Shalom's personal charisma, what could cause the people to abandon their beloved David? Well, the Midrash says something very intriguing. Look at this Midrash here in, uh, in source number five, this Midrash Tanchuma, which is also based on that same uh, Mizmor, Mizmor Gimel, which has as its title, Bivarchol Mipnei Avshalom Beno, right? He, he composes this Mizmor um, during or after or as a result of the, uh, the rebellion of Avshalom, and the Midrash says as follows: Zesha Marakatuv, Rabim Omrim Lenafshi. I'm just going to continue the pasuk, right? It says there, Rabim Omrim Lenafshi, En Yeshuata Lo Velohim Selah. Many people say about me that he has no salvation in God. Zed David, Shigiliado Otomase, Amru, Ma Adam Sheshava Kivsa. Viharag et haroe, vihipil et Israel becharev, yeshlo teshua, en yeshuata lo velohim. Right? The people said about David, the person who trapped the lamb 
and killed the shepherd and made Israel fall by the sword. Can he have salvation? God will not give him salvation. And, and this seems to be the backdrop for this midrash of the rebellion, right? And so what we see is that following the Bathsheba story, David has good reason to sense perhaps God's anger, the people's disillusionment. We certainly see that David is uncertain as to his own future, whether or not his dynasty will continue. I'll mention perhaps one more incident that I'm going to speculate may be related to this, and that is in uh, in Perk Tedvav, in Shmuelbet Perk Tedvav, in Pasuk Yudalid, right? When David hears about the rebellion, right? David immediately turns to his servants, Vayomer David l'chol avadav asheri tovi Yerushalayim, kumo v'nivracha, let's run away. Quick, let's go. Let's run away from Yerushalayim. It's terrible. Avshalom's going to win. Right? Which is an extraordinary thing to do because Yerushalayim is one of the best fortified cities that we have. Right? To get up, to run away from the city doesn't make a lot of sense. right? Unless, which I think most people assume, David just doesn't want to fight his son, which you know certainly is, I think, a reasonable assumption. But I think also it's related to what we've been describing until now, which is that David is not sure of his own continued success. I'm going to raise another thought, which is that Perhaps David, who is questioning whether or not he is going to have continuity, actually is happy about merit of shalom, right? Maybe this is the best case scenario. Maybe his son will continue him. Now, it's done in a violent way and in a way that maybe he wouldn't have desired, but maybe this isn't the worst way that the events are going to play themselves out. Um, and, and I think that this whole story can also, or everything that we've really said thus far, can also account for David's general passivity vis-a-vis -vis his sons, vis-a-vis -vis their actions. He seems to be willing to let these events, what he considers to be God's punishment, take its course, and he holds out hope that perhaps the rebellions of his different sons might lead to the continuity of his dynasty. I think that this kind of, you know, leaves us at the end of the David story, right? It seems to really accompany him all the way until Malachim Aleph, Perak Aleph, where things have not gotten better. Okay, Malachim Aleph, Perak Aleph, we find David. David is old, right? He is cold. His uh, son is outside, you know, stirring up a rebellion, right? Things don't seem to have changed. And so I, I'll get to that in a moment. But the real question that I want to ask is, is how does David emerge from all of this? Because, of course, we know David does emerge from all of this, right? Not only does David emerge from this with a continued dynasty, but he returns to being the paradigm of ideal leadership, right? That's how we hold him up in Sefer Malachim, right? In Sefer Malachim, he becomes the gauge, right? He was good like David, he was not good like David, right? We still say, David, Melech Yisrael, Chai Vekayam, we still daven for the re-implementation of the Davidic dynasty. We still name our sons David, I among them, right? And so we still, um, we, we, we still regard David as this ideal figure. How and when does this happen? Well, let's turn our attention to Malachim Aleph, Perak Aleph. Because here, as I said, certainly uh, in the beginning of the story, uh, it seems that he is still deeply mired in his uncertainty, in his loneliness, in his uh, uh, difficult situation. And, and, and certainly, we have lots and lots of indications that here as well, he is still suffering for the story of Bathsheba. Let's look at the very beginning of Malachim Aleph, Perak Aleph, Pasuk Aleph. V'hamelech David zaken ba bayamim. 
right? David is, is, is elderly, they cover him with clothes, he can't get warm. Right? Let's bring a young woman and she can warm him. It's the same phrase used about Bathsheba, right? And she will lie in, in your bosom. Hamelech, and she can warn the king. Okay, so we have this story of bringing someone to warm David. His wives aren't there, right? Bacheva's not there. His sons, in a moment, we're going to see, are outside, right? We have this story of David, who seems really uh, very debilitated, um, very weak here. In fact, the Abarbanel, in source number six, asks what I think is the obvious question here, or the important question here, it's, it's, what's going on with David, right? How could David have gotten so weak and so cold when he's just 70 years old. Right, by the way, the Barbanel is then going to spend a couple, if you want to see something nice, he's going to spend a couple sentences talking about how 70 is so young. He doesn't understand. right? So the Barbanel here says, how could it be? He's only 70. What seems to be, what seems to be right here, that there were many reasons that caused David's weakness and his chill al inyan amnon vitamar right he's still suffering the aftermath of the amnon and tamar story al inyan av shalom kinagad nafesh shegam zeich lish levav overucho the story of the rebellion of, of shalom he still hasn't recovered from ve'im inyan batsheva ve'uriah and what about the story of batsheva and uriah umashachatabaze and that he sinned there sheit charet vimenu that he had terrible regret and he was engaged in this, in this, in this uh, course of tshuva. And he was always crying about his sins. Right? He was crying day and night, and this, of course, weakened him. <clears throat> and 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 what do we see next about David after we see this, you know, rather um, weak image? of David, who is really in a very debilitated state. Well, look in Pasuk Hey. The Adoniah ven Chagit mitnaseh lemar aniemloch. Right? His fourth son, Adoniah, is walking around saying, I'm going to reign. Vayaz lo rechev, ufarashim, v'chamishim ish ratzim lefanav, very much reminds us of Avshalom. So we have our next rebellious son. V'lot tzavo aviv miyamav lemar, madua kacha asita. His father never rebuked him, saying, why are you doing this? Right? Another rebellion. And again, in this rebellion as well, not only is David sort of very explicitly standing passively at the side, not getting involved, but once again, there seem to be two big dangers in this story. One is shfichut damim, Adoniah, whose desire to rule is a direct physical uh, threat to Shlomo. It's a threat to Shlomo's life. That's what Natan is going to be, is going to say to Bathsheba in Pasuk Yudbet, right? He's going to say, you need to save your life. You need to stop this rebellion because it could cause Shlomo's death. And of course, ultimately, Adoniah is also going to try to take Avishag Hashunamit as his wife. So again, it seems to be that those two themes, the theme of Shfichut Damim and Gilui Arayot, which we've seen in the aftermath of the story of David and Bathsheba, seems to be about to take place in this story as well, which is pretty much the end of David. So I go back to my first question. When does David recover? Because he does recover. Right? One more thing I want you to see. Look in Pasuk Yud Aleph. Vayomer Natan el Bathsheba aim Shlomo Lemar. Right at the end of this whole description of the, the 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 hustle and the bustle and the intrigue of Adoniah gathering people together in order to bring about this his kingship, right? Natan comes to Bathsheba and says, "Hello, Shama, did you hear? Ki malach Adoniah ven Chagit, va Adonenu David 
lo yada. Right? We had it before. The hamelech lo yada. Right? The king is not involved. Right? The king is not involved. All this takes place without David getting involved. He's not involved with the continuation of his dynasty. He's not involved with his sons. He's not involved with matters of great national significance, right? Seems to be that he doesn't sleep with Avishag Hashunamit, right? That seems to be the Pshad. He's not interested in the continuation of his dynasty. From all of these things that we've seen, it seems that this story, Malachim Aleph, Perak Aleph, is the continuation of David's doubts, his uncertainty about the future of God's promise, and the helplessness that we see in Shmuel Bet. So what changes? I think that there's really only one event that changes this, and that is the moment that Bathsheba and Natan conspire to get Shlomo on the throne. That that changes everything, right? And astoundingly, astoundingly their plan works, right? I'm not going to read for you the whole uh, the whole the whole story of the plotting, and we read the first pasuk, right? Nathan comes to Bathsheba, and he tells Bathsheba what happened. He says, "Okay, this is the plan. You're going to go into David, and you're going to tell David that he promised that he's going to put Shlomo on the throne, etc., etc." Let's look at what the effect that this plan has on David. Of course, at the end of Bathsheba speaking, Nathan comes in and corroborates her words, and David actually encounters the two figures of the David and Bathsheba story, right? That's what he encounters here. And they're the ones who come to him and say, let's get Shlomo on the throne. Look at David's response in Malachim Aleph, Perak Aleph, we'll start in Pasuk Kafcheh, okay? Vayaan HaMelech David, Vayomer, Kiru li Shava, call for me Bathsheba, Vatavo lifnei HaMelech, Vatamod lifnei HaMelech, right, she comes. I don't even think I have to translate it because the, 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 the force of the words is that the words are forceful, right? Because he is taking an oath in the name of God. He is acting. He says, I swear by God who saved me from every trouble that just as I swore to you, so I will do. We will make sure that Shlomo continues. This is a different David. Look at Bathsheba's response. Vatikod Bathsheba apayim eretz, vatishtachu lamelech, vatomer, yechi adoni hamelech David. Le'olam, right? I don't think I don't think she's. I mean, I think she's probably rather shocked, right? This is the David that just a few minutes ago, right, was lying in bed. He couldn't get warm. He had nobody around him, right? He had, and suddenly David has summoned up his regal authority, his confidence, his relationship with God, his prior relationship with God, right? Asher pada et nafshi mikol tsara and Bathsheba is amazed. And this really takes us into the next part of the parak, which we won't be reading, where David actually implements what he says, right? He's suddenly filled with energy, he's filled with, with passion, and he puts Shlomo on the throne, and that is the end of the story of David. Now, Leah Barbanel notes this. I mean, it's really a rather extraordinary transformation, and Leah Barbanel talks about it several times. If you look here in source number seven, um, you know, just, just look at the second line here. Even though he was so weak and lacking strength, he right? He woke up like a man of war to put Shlomo on the throne. Uh, what has happened here? Right? In order to understand what has happened, I want to go back to Tehillim. I want to go back to that moment in Sefer Tehillim where Shlomo expresses his uncertainties about the potential impact of his sin. Right? Remember he said, Al tashlicheni milfanecha v'ruach kochecha al tikach mimeni. That was Nun Aleph. Now what follows that means more 
is a series of mizmorim that seem to be about the historical events in David's life, right? We have really just a cluster of those mizmorei tilim that have titles, right, that link those mizmorei tilim to David's life. It seems to be sort of a schematic overview of some of the major events in David's life. And this takes us to the end. All of this takes place in, in Sefer Hashemi, right, in the second book of Tehillim. And it moves us towards the end of Sefer Hashemi. When we get to the second to last Mizmor in the second, in, in this, in the second book of, of uh, Tehillim, we're in Mizmor Ayin. We have a pasuk here that seems to represent Malachim Aleph, Perak Aleph. These last moments of David's life. Um, in Sefer Hashemi, he starts out by turning to God and saying, Don't cast me away. And in Perak, I'm sorry, not Ayin, Ayin Aleph, Pasuk Teh, we have the only other place in Tanakh which begins with the words, Al Tashlicheni. Right? There's only two places in Tanakh where we have that phrase. Chazal recognized this, or the Baalei HaPiyutim recognized this. That's what we say, right? You know, during the Amim Naraim. What's that other phrase? Al Tashlicheni Le'eit Zikna Kichlot Kochi Al Tazveni. Oh, you get to the end of David's life, and still he doesn't know. Has God cast me away? Has God forsaken me? I'm going to say, just for argument's sake, that this pasuk was written in Malachim Aleph Perak Aleph Pasuk Dalet. Okay, somewhere around there. Al Tashlicheni Le'itzikna. I still don't know. What's going on with my children? What's going on with my promise? What's going on with the Ruach Hashem? And this takes us to our next Mizmor. Look in Ayin Bed. This is the final Mizmor of, um, of, of Sefer Sheni. How does it start? Lishlomo. Elohim mishpatecha lemelech tein. Right? This is our Mizmar that is written as we coronate Shlomo, right? As Shlomo gets on the throne. And this is an ideal Mizmar. It's an idyllic Mizmar. It's a Mizmar of a wonderful king, a king who does chesed and mishpat, a king who feeds the poor, a king who uh, makes sure to rid the country of violence. But on a personal level, this is the Mizmor that David has been waiting for. Because look at the very last pasuk of Mizmor Ein Bed. Kolu tefilot David ben Yishai. Kolu, right? They have been completed. David's tefilot end here, as does David's kingship in Malachim Aleph, Perak Aleph, when he finds out that Shlomo has been given kingship by God through the prophet. It is the very fact that Natan and Bathsheba come in to tell David that Shlomo will become king that restores David's confidence in his future, his confidence in his continued dynasty, his confidence that he has been forgiven by God. This uh, Mizmor, this Lishlomo, brings David's life to a triumphant and, I think, very joy-filled conclusion. Shlomo's kingship, his being put on the throne, his being approved of by prophet and God in order to assume the mantle of kingship, in order to become the continuation of David's dynasty, is both a, uh, a continuation of God's promise to David, but it is also a pardon, right? In all of David's quiet hopes that one of his sons would continue his dynasty, his dynasty despite the story of Bathsheba, the idea that his dynasty would continue through Shlomo, the product of the relationship with Bathsheba, seemed near impossible. Despite the fact that Shlomo is Yedid Hashem, despite the fact that Hashem loves Shlomo, still the idea that David's kingship will be continued through Shlomo seems extraordinarily unlikely. And as the Abarbanel notes, 
the most obvious and public declaration that David's tshuva has been accepted by God is accomplished by placing Shlomo, the product of that union, on the throne. I'm going to uh, uh, say something here that I once heard from Rav Meidan, and it's based here on this uh, Gemara in Yoma in source number 11. The well-known Gemara here brings two statements of Reish Lakish that, uh, that, that talk about the power of tshuva. Right, so the first statement of Rachel Akish is Gidola Chuvash's Donot Nasotlo Kishkagot. Why is Chuva great? Because you could take all those sins and you can turn them into mistakes, right? God says, Well, you know, I'll forget them because they were basically mistakes, right? That's what Chuva has accomplished. It showed me that you see that you made a mistake. But then Rachel Akish says something which is really extraordinary. He says, Gidola Gidola Chuva. Why is Chuva great? Because his past mistakes become his merits. I heard Rev. Maidan once say that this is about this story, right? Not only has David been pardoned, but his experience, his experience of terrible sin and terrible punishment, followed by a, a really extraordinary process of tshuva, they become part of the dynasty of kingship. They are deemed to become a necessary part of what kingship is and what kingship should be. David's story indicates to us that no one is free from sin. No one, not even David. And the lesson is that kings should, not that they should imitate a perfect king who never sinned, but rather a king who, after he sins, does profound and genuine tshuva, incorporating his experience of distance and alienation from God back into his love of God. And so David becomes the ultimate Baal tshuva. For us and for all kings, it is woven, this experience, into the dynasty of kingship it is not placed on the side. It is incorporated into the dynasty of kingship. If you look, for example, in source number eight, is a, a, a well-known uh, description of David, Amar Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmani, Amar Rabbi Yonatan, my dichtiv neum David ben Yishai, neum agever, who come all, neum David ben Yishai, shehikim ola shel tshuva. David becomes defined by the fact that he spends his whole life engaged in tshuva. And according to, look at this midrash here in source number nine. According to this midrash, the midrash also seems pretty aware of uh, the possibility that David entertains, that he might lose the Ruach Hashem. Look at what this midrash says. Amar lahem, David said to them, Kvar hayiti vehelani. Right? I was already in the depths of the pit, and he took me out. Amartilo im kvar helitani teli ruach hakodesh. If you've taken me out of the pit, give me the ruach hakodesh. The kenu omer he shivali sasoni shecha the ruach nidiva tismecheni. Right. This is a, a quote from from Tehilim Nun Aleph from that that parak. Mila made. What do we learn from this? That the Ruach HaKodesh left David. First, I'm going to give you back this Ruach. Therefore, David sings a new song. Right? That's based on, on, on Perak Mem. David sings a new song. It's not the same song that he sang before he lost the Ruach HaKodesh. The experience of losing God's accompaniment, of questioning his future, of experiencing distance and alienation from God, this gives him the ability to sing a Shir Chadash. And look at the conclusion of this Midrash. Kol HaRotzeh La'asot Teshuvah Yistakel David, right? Anyone who wants to do tshuva should look at David. A similar idea we have in source number 10. 
to you alone have I sinned. Kshetehe omer leposhim, lama lo asitem tshuva? Im tikableini kol haposhim mashlimim lecha umistaklim bi hakol ve'ani ha'ed ha'id she'ata mekabel et ha'shavim. Right, so David testifies, I am living testimony. That, that, that you can use as an example to teach everyone that in fact tshuva works. And so the story of David's sons is the story of terrible punishment. It's the story of terrible uh, uncertainty that accompanies David. It's the story of the possibility that David has lost everything that he had acquired earlier in his, in his life but his tshuva succeeds not just in eliciting forgiveness, but in actually becoming a paradigm for all of the people, and also for all of the people who, who would like to do tshuva, which I think includes all of us, and of course for the dynasty of kingship. And so we conclude with the power of tshuva that is learned from David. I'd like to conclude with a statement of the Rambam, who describes the great power of Tshuva. Look at what he says here in source number 12. And with this, we will conclude today's shiur and today's learning of the Imeyun. The Ramam says as follows, Gidola Tshuva Shemekarevet Et Adam L'Shechina. Tshuva is great because it, 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 it brings God, people closer to God. Shenemar Shuva Yisrael Ad Hashem Elokecha. Venemar Velo Shavtem Adai Neum Hashem. Venemar Im Tashuv Yisrael Neum Hashem Elai Tashuv. Klomar. In other words, tshuva is meant to bring people closer to God. Im tachzor b'tshuva b'tidbak. If you if you do do tshuva, you will then learn to cleave to me. Hatshuva mikarevet et harechokim. It brings close those who are far. Emesh hayazes sanoi lifnei amakom. Yesterday this person was hated before God. Mishukatz umeruchak v'toeva. Vehayom, but today, who ahuv v'nechmad, karov v'yadid. Right? Today he is close, he is beloved, and he is what we call the Yadid Hashem. Thank you.